take our Bibles this morning and open them to Psalm 23. This is uh, probably after John 3.16, the most memorized portion of Scripture. In fact, it's probably the largest memorized portion of Scripture. Um, Those people of a certain age probably memorized it in the King James. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. Restoreth my soul. All of those types of these and thas. And and there's a, a richness there. And I, was, I have to confess, as a third grader, I really didn't understand it. Uh, when I memorized it in King James, um, now a little bit later, I, I, I understand it and appreciate it. Uh, that doesn't mean my the translation I use is King James. It just means that there's a richness, especially in this psalm. Now, we come to this psalm, 23, and it is not here by accident. It is providential that it is Psalm 23 because it follows Psalm 22. And you don't get to understand Psalm 23 until you have understood Psalm 22. So we will start in Psalm 22. So if we just flip the page back over. Now, if you have been to a funeral or two that I have done, and I know that there are some people in this congregation that if I'm out of town, they can do the same funeral that I have done. Uh, Because they have been to so many of them. Uh, You probably have heard me talk about Psalm 23 and some of the things that are there. And uh, this will be an expansion upon most of those views, most of those things that you have heard. And I will rely a lot upon Philip Keller's book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. Probably the best eye-opening experience of what it of what it means when the Lord talks about these things, when they are seen through the eyes of someone who tends sheep. Um, They really come alive. Most of us have nothing to do with sheep, uh, don't have ever tended them, don't understand them, but yet, as Scripture clearly states, we are nothing but sheep. And thank the Lord that that's what we are. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word today, help us to understand this. Help us to grasp this care that you have for us, this love that you have for us, that the Lord, the creator of all that we see, would be our shepherd and would love us in such a fashion. Lord, bring your Holy Spirit to us today to open our eyes that we might see this and live in this truth. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Psalm 22, I'm just going to read a little portions of 22 so that we have a a grasp of what we're talking about when we get to Psalm 23. Remember, this psalm was written probably 600 years before crucifixion was invented. Keep that in mind. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh, my God, I cry by day, but thou dost not answer, and by night, but I have no rest. If you are holy, you are enthroned upon the praises of Israel, and thee our fathers trusted. They trusted, and thou didst deliver them. Thee they cried out and were delivered, and thee they trusted, were not disappointed. I am but a worm, but not a man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. 
They separate with the lip. They wag the head saying, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. If thou art he who didst bring me forth from the womb, thou didst make me trust when upon my mother's breast. Upon thee I was cast from birth. Thou hast been my God from my mother's womb. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They open wide their mouth at me as a raving and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaves to my jaws. Thou didst lay me in the dust of the earth. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. See, it is imperative that we read Psalm 22 before we read Psalm 23. Before we, because we can only understand that the Messiah forsaken by the Lord here because of our sins on the cross. It is only after that weight of sin that has been placed upon him and his suffering there. As I said, 600 years prior to crucifixion was even invented. The psalmist talks about that type of death there. It is only then that we can read the Lord is my shepherd. See, I must believe in Christ as my sacrificial substitute who died on the cross for my sins before I can know him as my good shepherd who meets my every need. Do you understand that? I must believe in him as my sacrificial substitute, Psalm 22, who died on the cross for my sins before I can know him as my good shepherd who meets my every need, Psalm 23. Let's read Psalm 23. In fact, let's read it together. You don't have to stand. If you have it memorized, you recite it in whatever way you memorized it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou hast anointed my head with oil, and my cup overflows. So surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. To know the suffering of the Savior, and then to know the security of what that salvation and that suffering has brought to the likes of us. Let's begin in the beginning of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, if you have a a pew Bible, you can see that the word Lord is capitalized. And that is the translator's way of presenting to us a certain name of God. And it is the most personal and familiar name of God used at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. And it is repeated more than 4,000 times in the Old Testament. It means I am who I am. So when Moses says, well, well, if I go out, who should I say sent me? I am 
who I am. That's the one that has sent me. It's the personal name for God. It reveals his self-sufficiency. It reveals his timelessness. He needs nothing. He is accountable to no one, for he in him, in, within himself is all that is needed. He is the same at all times. Now, on the other side of this image, the Lord we have here, and over here we have, is my shepherd. You'll notice shepherd is not capitalized. Shepherd is not given any fancy punctuation because a shepherd is the lowliest of all the jobs. See, it was given to the youngest of the family. You'll remember that David, uh, when Samuel comes to anoint the next king of Israel, he goes through all the sons of Jesse, and then none of them are the right one. He says, well, don't you have any left? And, and he says, there is what? The youngest who is out tending the sheep. The youngest one always got the nastiest job, which was to tend the sheep. And Samuel says, we'll go get him. And they bring him back, and he is anointed the king over Israel. The youngest son cared for the sheep. Shepherds lived with the sheep 24-7. No matter what the, the weather was, no matter what the time of the year, they were with the sheep. They nourished, they guided, they protected the sheep. And here we have the great God of the universe, the creator of all that we see, the one who is perfect in holiness and righteousness and justice. He is good in all that he does. He is perfect in all that he does. He says, I am your shepherd. I'm the one who cares for you 24-7 out in the field. When you have no protection, I protect you. When you don't know where to go, I tell you where to go. When you are nasty and full of parasites, I come and clean you up. And we'll see all of this as it is laid out in the care of the sheep. If you were a shepherd in the Old Testament, you would live out in the field. You would be out there with the sheep all night. And you would have that wonderful opportunity to look into a sky that is not uh, how do we say it? Does not has not been corrupted by light pollution. Okay? There is no city nearby with bright lights, no airport with all this landing lights that's out by my house. You know, it's tough to see all the stars because of the airport. Imagine in a field where there are no lights around you, and you can see the numerous stars. Billions upon billions of stars. And the Lord has placed everyone. He has created everyone. He has placed everyone. He knows each star, where it is to be, why it is there. And it is this God who cares for us, who becomes our shepherd. Our shepherd. When a shepherd would purchase a ewe, he would take his knife out and he would cut a specific cut into the ewe's ear. And that would be his mark which is upon that sheep for its entire life. And so even at a distance, when he looks out at the flock, he can see which ewes are his because of the mark in his ear. He has marked that sheep as belonging to him for its entire life. The Lord does the same thing to us. It is a mark that we belong to him. It is the Holy Spirit who comes and seals us as belonging to the Lord. He is the great shepherd of the sheep. We see in Luke uh, chapter 15 that when one is gone, he shows up and he knows each sheep by name. And if he sees that one is gone, what does he do? He leaves the 99 and goes after the one because that is his sheep. It belongs to him. It is close to his heart. It is close to his heart. So the Lord, the great God of the universe, is my shepherd. As the menialist... the, the, the lowest job of caring for the sheep, and that is us. And what say next? What's it say next? I shall not want. In shepherd terms, it means I will not lack the expert care of my master. I will not lack the expert care of my master. Left to themselves, sheep lack everything. They're helpless. 
Now, some shepherds are kind and gentle, and some are loving, and some are really nasty and mean. And it is under the kind and the gentle shepherds that the sheep flourish. But if a shepherd is careless, if he is inattentive to the sheep, then they will starve, they will fall prey to predators, they will suffer from a variety of ills, and all it takes is a little bit of attention to change their lives. Now, in Philip Keller's book, uh, he writes about a a tenant farmer who was right next to his farm. And he says, The tenant sheepmen ought never to have been allowed to keep the sheep. His stock were always thin, weak, and riddled with disease or parasites. Again and again they would come and stand at the fence and stare blankly through the woven wire at the green, lush pastures which my flock enjoyed. Had they been able to speak, I am sure that they would have said, Oh, to be set free from this awful owner. Oh, to be set free from this awful owner. They stared at the fence, at the lush green pastures there, and they were suffering terribly. This is a perfect example of what those who are bound in their sin would say if they only understood that they were bound in their sin. That they have been over here starving and, and attempting to feast on the world, but they're feasting on what is, what is nasty grass. And over here are the things of Christ and the lush green pastures. They would look through that fence and go, if only I could be over there and have a new master. But yet their eyes are blinded. They do not see yet. They do not see. We belong to the one who is self-sufficient. We belong to the one whose love is inexhaustible. And he is immutable. He is unchangeable. He lacks nothing. This is the one who loves us. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. He is sufficient to provide us all things. He is utterly selfless and gives all that he has to his sheep for their good, for their protection, for their care. Ephesians chapter 5. We've been to a funeral. If you've been to a wedding that I've done. You've probably heard me talk about Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 and following. This talks about this type of love that our Heavenly Father, through the work of His Son, has for us. The type of sacrifice that He has given for us. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. The The context here really is in verse 21. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So this is how relationships are to be played out. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. And and men, we like to stop reading there. Yeah. But, and, and see, this has been so, so uh, applied out of bounds. The real emphasis here is on a husband's relationship. The real work here is to be done by the husband. The responsibility is so much greater on the husband's part because the husband is compared to Christ. All right, men? Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. 
For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is this mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. With Christ and the church. So we understand this is an image of how Christ loves the church. How Christ is the good shepherd. How we are nothing but sheep. And he gives up all that he has for the sheep. The shepherd even lays down his life that the sheep might be protected because they cannot protect themselves. Psalm 23 says, I shall not want. The only way that a sheep shall not want is when the shepherd gives them everything that they need. Back to Psalm 23. Now, what will the sheep not lack? Well, what the sheep will not lack is found in the rest of the passage, verses 2 through 6. First thing, I shall not lack rest. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Sheep will not lie down unless four things are satisfied. Unless four things are satisfied. First, that they are free from all predators. Sheep are the uh, meek, meekest of animals. They are the scariest cats of all animals. Um, I, I have uh, talked to people who have jumped out in their youth and scared a sheep, and that sheep has killed over and died at that moment because he was frightened to death. If a sheep will see a stray dog running along the fence line on the other side of the fence, it is not uncommon for sheep, uh, for ewes that are heavy with lamb, to spontaneously abort because they are afraid of the wild dog that's on the other side of the fence. Okay, This is how much they are in fear. So they need to be free from all predators. They need to be free from strife within the flock. Usually there is a matriarch that runs the flock, and it's called a budding order. And she will demonstrate her dominance by walking around and budding the others into line. So she butts the rest, and then there's a number two, and she butts everybody else except number one. And if there is a lot of butting going on, then there is a lot of strife within the flock, and they all get agitated. They won't lay down. They won't be still. And it is not until the shepherd shows up who brings a confidence to the sheep. He brings a confidence and a stillness to the sheep. So they need to be free from internal strife as well. They need to be free from torment of flies and parasites and those things that bother them. We'll look more at that in just a moment. And they need to be free from hunger, most importantly. Now, Israel is not known for its lushness. And sheep need to flourish. To flourish, they need lush, green pastures. So the shepherd must constantly move the sheep from one pasture to another so that they can have a regular supply of green pasture. There is no substitute there. A hungry, ill-fed sheep is forever on its feet, while a contented and safe sheep will lie down and will chew its cud. God's word is full. It is a full banquet for us, where we can find the richness of food, where we can find security, where we can lie down and rest in the care of the Lord. The Lord gives us rest and bread and peace and water. These are all the things that come from Christ that we might find security. So I shall not lack rest. Next, he leaves me beside the still waters or waters of rest. They need water and their thirst to be quenched. Now, the thing about a sheep is that a sheep will drink whatever it can find. So the shepherd may be leading it to the good water, but along the path here are some puddles. 
And, you know, there have been three or four flocks that have gone on this trail before, and the water is all filed, uh, and it's, it's, it's nasty, but a sheep, if left to itself, will drink from that puddle. Drink the nasty water from that puddle, and it will ingest the parasites and the diseases that are involved in this. They will drink from any source that they stumble upon. Jesus says, what, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink water that that he will never thirst again. The woman at the well, remember, says, you come here for water, but really what you need is the living water. If you drink of that, you will never thirst again. The shepherd must take the sheep to where they can have their thirst quenched. Now, this water in the puddles, well, it satisfies for a moment. It's the things in life that we look at and say, oh, boy, I'll feel good if I drink that. I'll feel good if I do that, but it only satisfies for an instant. And the long-term consequences, diseases, parasites, just like the sheep that's drinking the nasty water. When all we have to do is wait on the Lord's timing for the living water, for the good stuff that he has for us. There's no quick fix. We may look at it as a quick fix, but there are long-term consequences when we do that. He restores my soul, verse 3. The Hebrew word for soul here is life. Now, sheep have uh, what's known as a cast sheep. A cast sheep is a sheep that has maybe lain down and in a nice little uh, indentation in the ground and thought this was a nice cozy place, and perhaps they have rolled over to where their feet have lost, lost touch with the ground, or sometimes they will fall and roll over, and their feet are up in the air, and then there are what Philip Keller says, it's a pitiful sight to see this sheep full of wool, and their feet up in the air, and they're going like this, and then they start to panic because their feet aren't on the ground, and if they are left in a cast position, if they are left with their feet up too long, gas begins to build up within them, and they will die because of that buildup of gas. And nothing can get them back on their feet unless the shepherd comes and restores them. Sometimes we are like sheep. Spiritually on our backs, our only hope is the care of the shepherd. Our only hope is the care of the shepherd. Well, the shepherd comes along, and I have to show you this. The shepherd comes along, and he finds the sheep, and he takes the sheep, and he rolls it over until the gas has dissipated within it a little bit. And then he stands it up right between his feet and begins to rub the extremities of the sheep to return the blood flow and dissipate whatever gas is left in its extremities. And he begins to talk to the sheep, reminding that sheep of his care for them. Reminding him that he is the shepherd and he's going to watch out for that sheep. He goes after that one who is lost. How many times have we been lost and the Lord has come after us? How many times have we been cast, you know, up in the air, panicking because we don't know what's going on. We think we're going to die and the Lord comes and reminds us. He says, I'm your God. I'm your shepherd. I'm the one who created you. I'm the one who watches over you 24-7. No matter what goes on in the world, no matter what it looks like, chaos or whatever else it may seem, I am the one who cares for you. Let me restore you. Let me love you. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. Sheep will wander away. Sheep will wander away. Doesn't matter how good the pasture is. They will begin to eat, and then they'll, they'll eat, and they'll eat, and they'll eat, and they'll just go that way. And before they know it, they're gone. They have wandered away, and they're away from the flock. Even a good field, they will eat until they have eaten everything. They will destroy what it is that they are in left to themselves. 
They will eat every blade of grass. They will tear up everything until the field is ruined. They must be moved from field to field to keep them in good grass and in good water. No other livestock requires as much care as a sheep. Okay? No other livestock requires as much care or as much careful handling as a sheep. The greatest single safeguard to the happiness of a sheep is that the shepherd continues to move them. Now apply that to us. Okay? How many of you like to get up and move? Okay? How many of you like to get out of where you are and move? Okay? Now some of you, I know, military or a variety of reasons, you have moved physically 20 or 30 times maybe in your lifetime. And, you know, maybe you're used to it. But most of us, when we get settled in something, we like it there, don't we? This is good. Okay? I like my routine. I've got my routine in the morning. I've got my routine in the day. Uh, you know, my dog and I, we go out on a walk, and he knows exactly where to go because this is his familiar territory. Um, you know, I, I like people. I know how they're going to respond. And, and But we die there, just like a sheep that will die in the field unless the shepherd moves us. Okay? We have to be ready for the Lord to move us into something different because if we sit in the same spot, my goodness, we're going to consume everything around us and then we'll look and say, what happened? The Lord says, let's move. That's what he does to the sheep. That's what a good shepherd does. He moves the sheep so that we don't overgraze, so that we don't dig the ruts into the same trail, so that we don't erode the landscape to such a degree that it is destroyed. As soon as the shepherd sees that the pasture has reached the point that's, that's dangerous of overgrazing. He has to move the sheep. He has to move the sheep. They will not move on their own. Isn't that like us? No, no Lord, you're going to have to come and move me out of here. Don't ask the Lord to do that. He will move you. Okay? Better to agree that, yes, I've got to act differently. Better to agree that, I, okay, Lord, I'm going to go there than have him come and move you someplace. Even though I, verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. There are two things that give contentment to the sheep as they walk through the valleys. The shepherd's presence and the shepherd's rod and staff. They give comfort to the sheep. Now in Israel, the sheep would have to move in summer, uh, move to summer pasturage. And that would be to the higher elevations. And so every summer they would go and the shepherd would lead the sheep up and the flock would follow, trusting him. Wherever the shepherd goes, the sheep follow. And as they move in these directions, they have to go through these valleys. And then the valleys are lush green grass. And they are, they are fed richly on this green grass in these valleys. And they don't know this is unfamiliar territory, but the shepherd is leading them. Now, most of us do not like to go through the valleys the valley of the shadow of death, any type of valleys, because it's struggle there. It's unknown territory. We don't like it. In fact, in the midst of those valleys of the shadow of death, we face things that that we would rather do without. But it is only there that the richness of the Lord sometimes is bestowed upon us so that we are ready to get where we need to be. How many times have we had to go through terrible things that we thought were going to crush us and destroy us, yet in the midst of those things we were nourished to such an extent that we were ready for what the Lord has for us down the road? The second thing which gives comfort to the sheep are his rod and his staff. The rod was a symbol of authority. 
Now, the staff, there's two, two different things here. I always think you know, the shepherd's staff with the hook, the hook on it, you know, he would safety and security. But the rod that he has was, was pulled from a young tree and it had a big ball on the end, and it was used for defense and, or sometimes to get the attention of the sheep. Now, you all know the joke, how do you train a mule? Well, the first thing you go and you get whack it in the head with a two-by-four to get its attention. Well, the same type of thing is applied to a sheep. Sheep will wander off and eat the things that they're not supposed to. And if they're in a big area, what the shepherd will do is take his rod with this big ball on the end of it, and he will throw it at the sheep who's over there eating the poisonous weeds and wallop the sheep. And he's got the sheep's attention now. And it hurts the sheep to do that, but it saves the sheep's life. How many of us have been in some place where the Lord has had to wallop us, and it's hurt? But he's gotten our attention and has saved our lives in some fashion. This is what the shepherd does. So that rod and that staff are comforting in the sense that they may hurt, but they give protection. They save the sheep's life. Next, he prepares a table before me. A good shepherd will go to the pasture ahead of the sheep, and he will remove dangers He will remove poisonous weeds. He will remove physical hazards. He will make sure it is clear of predators. And he will plan out a grazing program so that once they reach those pastures, they are secure. The shepherd has gone before them and made sure that they are safe. Because sheep will eat whatever is in front of them. So the good shepherd goes before them, even on the path, even on through the valley. They may go through and the shepherd will pull up the poisonous weeds and take them out of the sheep's range. Now, some Christians, some of us, will try whatever comes along, the latest theologies, the latest styles, the religious religious gimmicks, whatever it may be. It can be to our own spiritual detriment. The good shepherd goes ahead and plans out so that we can feast upon the things of the word. The shepherd will anoint the sheep when it finds injuries, will take oil and anoint the sheep. Remember the, the good Samaritan? The good Samaritan came along, and here was the guy who was all beat up. What did he do? He put wine and oil on the injuries. The shepherd will take a sheep, and he will go through it and dig through its wool and its coat and find injuries and will anoint those injuries with oil. And if the sheep is infested with parasites, today this is you know, a common practice, they will dip the sheep in it. They will totally immerse the sheep, if it is so bad, in a mixture of... Uh, 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 medical stuff today uh, in New Testament times it was uh, oil and sulfur and spices and, but they will totally immerse the sheep so that the sheep can be cleansed because there's no part of the sheep does not, that does not need to be cleansed so surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever a sheep can find security because it knows it is safe, it is, has a happy home, it has a shepherd who cares for it, no matter what the circumstance. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places, and if it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. This is what the Lord does for us. Are you anxious? Are you upset in some fashion? Are you not trusting? Look at the shepherd. Look what we have in a shepherd, in our Holy Father, and what he does for us. Charles Spurgeon writes, 
says, I have heard of a young man who went to college, and when he had been there a year, his father said to him, do you know more than when you went? And the freshman said, well, of course I do. I know much more than when I went. Father shook his head. Then after the end of the second year, he went and asked the same question to his son. Do you know more than when you went? The son said, oh, no, I know a great deal less than when I went. Well, said the father, you are getting on. And he went to the third year and asked, what do you know now? And the son said, I don't think I know anything. That's right, said the father. You have now learned to profit since you say you know nothing. He who is convinced that he knows nothing, as he ought to know, gives up steering his own ship and lets God put his hand on the rudder. He lays aside his own wisdom and cries, Oh God, my little wisdom is cast at your feet and I surrender it to you. Again, he's writing about the 23rd Psalm. A sheep is not only foolish, but it is a very dependent creature. If we take a horse, we might turn him loose on the prairie. Come back in two years, you could find that horse again. He'd be fine. He would find his own food, his own protection. Spurgeon says you could even turn an ox loose on the prairie, and he would find food and find protection. But put a silly sheep out there, set it alone in the wilderness, let it pursue its own course unheeded, what would be its fate? If it did not wander into places where it would starve, it would ultimately come to ruin, for assuredly some wild beast would lay hold of it because it has no means of defense for itself. My friends, as Christians, we are chosen by God before the foundations of the earth. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We are the recipients of saving grace, but we're nothing but stupid sheep. And thank God that that's all we are, because we have got a shepherd who loves us more than we can imagine. Let's pray. Lord, in this great psalm, we have seen your protection. In the previous psalm, 22, we have seen your sacrifice that we might know salvation. We have seen the struggle of the Messiah. We have seen his suffering. And now, in this great psalm by David, we see your protection. Your care for us. You go before us. You watch over us. You discipline us. You do all of these things all because of your love for us. All because we, left to ourselves, will wander away, we will choose the stupid path, we will drink from the nasty water, we will destroy whatever it is around us unless you come and move us, unless you come and provide for us, unless you come and protect us. But as sheep, we just don't stop there. For your protection and your guidance and your feeding us, this empowers us to do things we could never dream of or imagine. Not only are we stupid sheep, we're stupid sheep filled with the Holy Spirit. We are stupid sheep empowered by the Lord. We are stupid sheep called to work that is far beyond what we could do if we weren't stupid sheep. And thank God you have place your grace and love in our hearts and empowered us to live as your sheep unafraid of what the lord of what the world has for us because you are our shepherd 
unafraid of what runs along those fences. We should never fear those things because you are our shepherd. You will always provide for us. You will always feed us, take us, and give us the living water of Christ. We will never thirst. We will never be hungry. We have a banquet before us to feast upon. We have security. We have your hand to guide and direct us to go before us, to discipline us, to do all of these things. We fear no man because we are your sheep, called to do your work, to demonstrate in word and deed the things of Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Our hymn is 432, Softly and Tenderly, 432. Let's stand as we sing.